The right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. James, today we're doing one of my favorite things that we really get to do here at UPS on a daily basis, and that's unpack small business. Uh, It's kind of cliche that small business is the backbone of the economy. You hear politicians say it all the time, but there's a reason it's cliche, and it's true. I think we've been lucky to talk to all kinds of innovative small business owners, and the thing they keep telling us over and over again is it's really, really stinking hard. Yeah, and, and that key word is innovative. Um, and I think today's guest that we're talking to is nothing but innovative. He's had to restart his company three times. James is talking about Jamie Salvatore. He is the founder of VAT19. Uh, they like to say that they sell curiously awesome gifts and make curiously awesome videos for the public to see. Yeah, and, and those videos are really commercials that tie yeah. to products they sell through yeah. their e-commerce yeah. store. And that's the wrinkle, guys. When In an era when you, me, everyone we know is bending over backwards to fast forward through any kind of ad, buying things specifically because we don't have to sit through the ads, Jamie actually bet, <laughs> oddly enough, that he could make money on drawing people to his commercials. Yeah, and uh, VAT19 is approaching 6.5 million subscribers on YouTube. And, you know, when you see these commercials, you'll you'll flip. And these aren't just, like, everyday products. They're really kind of zany things. We're talking about the world's largest gummy bear, a bag of just cereal marshmallows. Uh, dog beer? Um, yeah. That's non-alcoholic, of course. Yeah. yeah, so don't tell my daughter about those cereal marshmallows. And then uh, they even have videos titled The World's Largest Jello Cup. Underneath kind of all the crazy is some really great tips for how to take your business to the next level. And we had to see it for ourselves. That's why we sent Chris Byrne, our vice president of global marketing, out to the VAT19 headquarters in St. Louis to get a tour of the operations. When Chris was on the ground, I think he got some really good insights. You guys are going to hear the VAT19 story. You're going to hear Jamie's approach to hiring. And then some kind of more uh, practical tips as it relates to going international, what you do with harmonized tariff codes, things that sound like they're nitty-gritty, but things you really have to master if you want to take your business to the next level. All right, let's get started and unpack the uh, VAT19 story. So, Jamie, you went into business for yourself. What were you thinking when you did that? Um, I'm broke, (laughs) Uh, and i got to make some money because but basically family business that kind of was doing very poorly and I was involved and had to figure out a way to try to make some money. And what we were doing at the time was not very successful. We were a video production for hire company. So I thought, let's give this other thing a try. We're going to try this other thing, which was let's make commercials for unique or interesting, weird products, and let's make those commercials weird and interesting and unique to kind of fit the products. Yeah. And we will make money not in selling the commercial, but in selling the product. That was sort of like the Hail Mary. 
and I figured, well, if it doesn't work, we're broke anyway. Yeah. So what is it? What does it matter? What do I got to lose? Yeah, I got nothing to lose. So that was it. If a stress ball is already fun to squeeze, and our giant stress ball is even more awesomely addicting, how much fun could we have with one that weighs 300 pounds? Yeah, we did it! Oh! This is the most stressful video we've ever made. We're gonna fill the world's largest stress ball with floof, a crazy play material that's light and airy. And we've got 500 pounds of it right here. Let's unbox it. So flipping from losing to gaining, how's that business grown over these 12 years? Yeah, we've had spurts and stops and, and, and you know, whatnot, but it, it, generally speaking, it's on an upward trajectory. Uh -huh. All I can say is that you just, you know, you try to plan for the future and then deal with all the problems that pop up each day and just try to solve them. So that's a, that's a great point. So you're talking big picture and day to day. Right. And Running a small business, you got to have your eyes on both of those. Yes. How do you how do you separate or or maybe even combine that kind of dynamic as as someone leading their own company? I think you get used to the variety, and maybe that is fun and engaging. Uh huh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, what I've always tried to do is free up as much of my time as possible because I don't know what awful thing's gonna happen that day. That's gonna be a big problem that I suddenly need time to take care of. So that's something that I've learned over time. You cannot pack your day wall to wall with like meetings and stuff like that because if, I don't know, the water main breaks outside and all of a sudden none of the toilets or none of the drinking fountains, none of the sinks, nothing works in the building. Like you've gotta figure out how to do that. And that's not a metaphor. Yeah. That's a thing that happened. It actually happened. Yeah, our water main broke, and it was just like, just uh, like in a movie, just like water just shooting outside. And it's like, you know, I don't know who to call to fix that. Right. You know, so you call the city, and they're like, I don't know, problem. It's on your side of the thing. So knowing you, you probably turned it into a video. No, I wish I could have, uh, but that was traumatic. So you... So you so things come up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the moral of the story. And what you found is you need to create time to be able to handle those in your day. Pretty much. Um, how about how about flipping it? So we were in the hallway earlier, and and you you have a tour going on as we speak uh, of your facility, and and a few customers or fans, as you say, came up and uh, asked for a selfie. So my guess is you're creating you're creating time in your day for these types of things as well, right? Um, spending time with your fans. Yeah, I mean, um, that's actually the most fun, being an online business, and we have such a heavy presence on YouTube. You put up a video, and you, you can read the comments, and you can see the metrics, you know, the number of views and the number of likes, but you're never really seeing your customer enjoying the content, enjoying the video, or enjoying the product. So the tours are so much fun because you're actually getting to meet a customer, meet a fan, and talk to them and find out what do you actually like? Yeah. like or what don't you like about certain things? So that's a lot of fun. Do you notice a difference on the feedback that you get online versus in person? Or is it just a different yeah, medium for, for yeah, imagine, receiving that feedback? Imagine that. <laughs> People are a little bit nicer in person than they are in the YouTube Which is why we're doing section. this in, in yeah, person, by the way. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like if archaeologists unearthed 
YouTube comments like 2,000 years from now, they would be like, oh, that's why their civilization failed. It's clear <laughs> as day. Look at all the hate and vitriol in here. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it, it can get real bad. So I actually, I don't read them to that often. What's the role of e-commerce in your journey through, through that, that process as a company? You know, we've had a couple almost variations of our company over the years. I mean, first we were a video production company for hire, and then it was we're going to be an e-commerce company. And, uh, you know, back in 2007, that seemed like the future, so wide open. Um, and we'll make some interesting, cool videos to try to promote the products that we're selling. There wasn't a lot of video online at that time. So it was just a great way to... It was a great marriage of, you know, what I had access to, this studio, and then, you know, my background in computer science. I could make the website, make the e-commerce store, and just try to sell some stuff and make some money that way. Mm -hmm. And then YouTube's taken on a life of its own over the last, you know, decade or so. I mean, the intention was never to be sort of a YouTuber. It was an e-commerce store where we sold products that really required a video to understand it. That's where we thought we could stand out. And now we're in this weird thing where the YouTube channel has gotten so much bigger than the store. Even. Mm. So you've, you've solved something many small businesses have as a, as a key challenge, and that's getting eyeballs, you know, getting the attention of the market. You have a great product, you need attention from, uh, from the market. And you've done that in such a creative way. Has that process evolved at all over those 12 years you've been in oh, business? Yeah. So I think the simplest way to put it is, for the longest time, the point of the video was to convert a browser on our website into a buyer. It was to make that conversion happen. Mm -hmm. It was, you're at my website, you're browsing around, you're looking at this product. Hey, maybe this commercial will get you to put it into your cart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now the commercials act more as like a top of funnel type of thing. So these videos are out there on YouTube and trying to appeal to a broad audience of people and get them interested in what we do. Yeah. And then later, hopefully, I've convinced them to come check out our website and maybe they like us and they like what we're doing and they'll come to our website and buy something. So the role of the video has shifted yeah. in the last decade. That's, that's great that you were able to recognize that and then position them differently. So we talked about your customers, and I love how in this building, you and, and your team here refer to them as fans. Um, and, and it sounds like they, they really are fans. When you think about your customers or your fans, what do they mean to this business? It's not a business without them. I mean, I don't know what it would be. It would be like a, a weird hobby. <laughs> Like, this guy likes to make commercials for fun. I mean, if we didn't have uh, the fan base, you know, none of us would be here. So it is the most important thing, which is why we look at the results of every video we make to see, is the fan base enjoying this? Do they like this? You know, is this content resonating mm -hmm. with them? Trying to give them opportunities to connect with us. The tour started because kids started showing up here <laughs> and asking to take a tour. And it was like, oh, uh -huh. okay. Like it never dawned on me that a kid would want to come and check this place 
out. You know, that's just, and the same with the fan art. It never dawned on me to that somebody would want to send, you know, kid would want to draw a drawing and send it to a store. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then once it started happening, then we started asking for it and listening to that. And so they've given us these these great ideas. Like they gave us the idea to do the tour. They gave us the idea to send the fan art. Oftentimes, you know, we'll we'll make a video and you can see in the comments how much they liked it. Mm -hmm. You know, and they'll say, make another one, do another one. When's the next one? When's number two coming out? And it's like, oh, oh okay, we'll we'll do that. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they are the reason for why we're here and they kind of tell us what to do. Well, that's terrific. So your your employees are such an important part. They are they are your company. I think you said something along those lines earlier. Yeah. Um, as you look to hire your your folks, um, your talent, your team here here at Vat Nineteen, what is it you look for to ensure they've got the same passion for your customers that that you do? So I hate to give away all my secrets to future applicants. But I'll lay it all out. Here is my process. Put up a job posting, wait a week until I get a whole bunch of resumes. I delete anything that doesn't have a cover letter on it. Because if you haven't spent even a minute to show me that you've got any interest, mm. I'm not going to look at it. And I know that that might seem rude. And it's like, okay, if you don't have any interest in our company whatsoever, and all you've done is just fire off a million mm -hmm. resumes, why should I write you this big check? So then it's just an interview to see what kind of person they are, because even if maybe their skills aren't exactly where we need them to be, you know, people can learn and can be trained. But if you don't have, like, a good personality, I can't probably fix that. Like, I'm not skilled enough to, like, make you not a jerk. So has that been part of your leadership model, running this company over time? Or is it something you've, you've kind of learned that works for you, is really giving your team the accountability for, the, for their space? I think people want to... I think they want to be in control of their portion of the job, but want to have the access to help yeah. if they need it. And so that's what I try to do is, okay, if you don't know something, let's try to figure it out together if you need my help. But otherwise, you're in charge of this part of the business because like the water main might break tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Really listening to how you're hiring your team uh, and... How does that translate into the environment that you're creating here at VAT19, the, the, the culture that you have? Uh, I'm pretty lucky that the first couple folks that I hired, especially on the video team, they actually created a lot of that on their own, just with their own personalities. And so as I would go to hire new folks, it was always a question of, Will they get along with so-and-so? Will their personality match with the other people that work here? In a small business, yeah, the personalities have to match. I'm not going to apologize for it. I've hired people with a lower skill set because I knew that they would get along with the person they had to work with a lot better mm -hmm. and that they could learn those skills over time. And when you talk about hiring the personality, what does that then Great in terms of the personality of your company. What's it like to walk through the halls here on a given day? When you when you watch your videos, they're a ton of fun, and your products are 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 the same. Uh, so much fun. Are you guys just having fun all day? Is that a big part of your your culture? I don't think it's like a constant party here by any stretch, 
But uh, it is a lot of fun. And I've always tried to hire people that are a lot nicer than I am because I know where I'm deficient. When I can, I try to watch and listen to what they're doing and what I perceive they like doing and then try to make more work that will fit into what they like doing. So first, we've got a couple of guys that are musicians and we're in a band. So they approached me and said, you know, they wanted to make some music videos. And that was never sitting on a five-year plan somewhere. I was like, hey, if these guys want to do it, they really want to do it, it's going to be good. So I think that's helped. But I'm very lucky in that I can that we can do that, that we can kind of shift the content towards maybe what they like doing. And also talking and trying to find out a sense of their mood, you know? Like, ah, it feels like they're getting bored of doing this same type of thing, so let's switch it up. Walking through the halls, I think you can see that passion uh, come through in in your employees, and I think that's credit to you allowing them to to do what it is there. They're good actors, too, don't you think? Good good actors as well. But... It sounds like you put really a ton of focus on bringing the right people in, and from there it just flourishes. Every single person that I've hired within maybe 10, 20 minutes of talking to them in the interview process, I knew that this person is going to work out and I was going to hire them. Any person where I've had to convince myself to hire them, like after the fact, by kind of like going back to their resume, going back to notes I've taken on an interview, or just trying to like pro-con myself into hiring them, it's always ended up being a disaster. And I hate firing people. It is the most awful part of owning a business. I hate doing it. I, I, it's, it's treacherous, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And so I want to avoid it at all costs. So you you started off selling across the U.S. Yeah. And then you began to get customer inquiry and interest uh, beyond the, the, the 50 states. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you've expanded uh, beyond our borders. I know so much more about customs mm. than I ever yeah. thought I would. That was hard. It started with shipping to... APO, FPO, DPO addresses, so the military addresses, trying to figure out that because you get an order in and it's like, you know, I'm such an idiot. I'm like, what state is AP? (laughs) I'm just like, I don't, what is happening? You know, and realizing, oh, well, it's the United States military. Like, I can just put like a regular postage on that. Well, that comes back to you because it doesn't have a customs form on it. So you start figuring that out. And then, you know, customers would would write to us and say, do you ship to, you know, England or do you ship to Canada or do you ship to wherever? And I've always felt like if one person asks you something, there's probably 10 more that didn't bother. So I had to figure out how to do it. And actually, UPS got us into shipping internationally because here's the thing most people don't know. You learn about it once you start trying to ship internationally is that every single product has to have a harmonized code for it, which is like there's this huge book you know about it. It's this giant book of like, Every single object that's ever been created has like a, a code, a standardized number to it. So you have to assign every item that you sell a number, which is maybe not that big a deal if you sell like two or three different things. When we started, we had maybe like 600 or something. Right. right. So I went to our UPS rep and was just like, 
I can't do this unless, like, we figure out all these codes. So he got us all of the codes to start out. Like, I just sent him a file, and, mm-hmm. like, two weeks later, he's like, here are all the codes. And without that, we couldn't have done it because you have to see this book. It's insane. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you know, like, you know, fur, and then, like, like different types of fur. And, then, and I mean, every, every possible thing that man has ever created is in this book, and you have to find the number for it. And it's like a nine-digit number or something. You got to keep going. Anyway, so once we had all those codes... We could, we could put it in, and then we started having problems with duties and taxes, right? Because customers are getting stuff, and then they're being charged money to get it released to them. So UPS came and saved the day, actually, again there with helping us find software that could uh, predict the duties and taxes as the person is checking out on our website so they can get and then prepay for them. So you're able to set up with UPS that now this package is going to the customer, everything's taken care of, which as a gift store is kind of important. Like you don't want to give a gift and it's like, hey, I sent you something cool. They're going to need like $25 when it shows up. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like the worst gift ever. So those two things made it possible. And now our international business is 28 to 30% of all of our revenue. Wow. International. That's terrific. Yeah. So, Jamie, you talked about creating space in your day to solve problems, attack opportunities. What are some of those that you enjoy uh, uncovering, discovering, and, and, and solving throughout your, your days, months, and, and years here? I think there's a satisfaction in solving like any problem. We solve, enjoy, is, solve is a good word. Yeah, right? I think we yeah. like solving problems. I think we like building tools to solve problems. And that's something I really like doing. So I get a lot of satisfaction out of identifying a problem and then figuring out a way to solve it so that it never pops up again. Being an e-commerce business, I can do a lot of that with computers and technology and programming. So if I find something that's popped up once, I'm like, let's make sure this never happens again and come up with a solution to stop that. If that's something I can do, that's awesome. Some of the ones that are the most frustrating or the most satisfying to solve, and lately a lot of that's been in, and this is getting very specific to our business, but in thumbnails for our videos. So you can think of a thumbnail for a video like a movie poster or a cover of a book. It is one of the most important things in trying to crack the YouTube algorithm. You have to have a thumbnail and title that grabs people. And we will do a lot of testing to see Mm. which ones work the best. And it can be so frustrating when you've tested 15 different iterations of something and none of them are really working that well. And then you hit on an idea and you try it and it works. And you can find out, I mean, you can find out within a matter of hours if the idea works. That's pretty awesome. How about looking forward? So as you look out there, what are the problems you and VAT19 need to solve for in the future or the opportunities to, to go after? We started trying to create our own products because of the commoditization of everything. So we try to create our own products. We tried to get bigger into, you know, just the advertising realm, right? So we don't just make videos for ourselves anymore. Sometimes we're making videos on behalf of other companies okay. just to kind of uh, diversify. 
like discovery shopping, right? Um, finding out about something that you didn't know exists, mm. but maybe that you wanted is kind of where like Instagram has taken over a giant hold. So those platforms are starting to, and this is no secret, those platforms are starting to allow purchasing within their platforms themselves. And we see that as a huge opportunity for ourselves because we feel that we create interesting and compelling content around products. So we could put that interesting and compelling content onto those platforms and hopefully make a sale because those platforms will make it so frictionless to shop. I think as you've looked over your, your last 12 years, you've, you've adapted, you've, you've stayed agile. Is that, is that even more important as a small business than predicting what's next is being ready for what's next? Um, probably. There's this like narrative that I think we love from movies and stuff is like, oh, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, it's that you get back up again. Yeah. Well, sometimes I want to stay knocked down, <laughs> you know? I just want to curl up in a ball and just kind of like leave me alone <laughs> while I have my moment here to just, you know, uh, think that everything is terrible. And then maybe I'll try to bounce back later. And so, like, to answer your question, being, being nimble and being able to change, like, Sounds good, okay? It sounds really good to be like, oh, it's a small business. You know, you're, you're small, so you can, like, you can change and you can react and you can do this, that, and the other. And it's like, then you do it. Like, it's sucks. <laughs> You've been working on something for 10, 15 years of your life, and all of a sudden that business doesn't exist anymore. Mm. You can't make money doing that thing anymore. And so there's not, there's not like, that's not glamorous. Um, I think it's important. We need to, like, stop the narrative a little bit of, like, the small business owner is the guy that, like, you know, he never gives up. And, like, you can knock him down and he gets back up. And it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> but you're forgetting the part where we were knocked down. And that was awful, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's hard to get back up. But, but if I were to go into that a little bit, each of your stories that you'd share with me go through getting knocked down. But you have gotten back up. Maybe it's not as immediate. But through that process, you've learned and you've iterated your business. And you should give, give yourself more credit, I think, on, on the resiliency that, that you've talked about and, and, and what I've seen here at, at VAT19. Well, I appreciate that. That's nice of you. <laughs> so, Jamie, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been great talking with you, learning about your business, learning about how you've led your business, uh, and what we've kind of seen you talk about into the future. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. So guys, if you enjoyed that podcast, I've got some excellent news for you. You can actually watch a video with even more color from the VAT19 sit-down interview between Jamie and Chris. And a jelly bean face-off. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, <laughs> I would go check it out. You can find it uh, on the Longitudes website and, of course, on YouTube as well. Yeah, and if you like this podcast, uh, go to iTunes and drop us a review. 